We have plenty of things to keep you busy during the holiday season here in December from Geeks Under the Influence and our friends around town in Richmond, Virginia. So let's get to it. First off, of course, is Punks for Presents is back for their 14th year, and there's a bunch of shows coming your way in the Richmond area. Friday the 13th, we've got Punks for Presents Night 3 at Wonderland for a night of cover bands and craziness, uh, also supporting the uh, Children's Hospital. Then on the 14th, Saturday the 14th, we got the camel with night four of Punks for Presents. Then finally on the 19th of December, we've got Gritty City for the kids, some hip-hop of the camel. Then the 23rd, we are back on, on a off week uh, from trivia normally, the 23rd of December for uh, Fallout Trivia at Fallout with Geeks Under the Influence. Then again on the 30th, so we've got the, uh, the Christmas Eve Eve trivia, and then we've got New Year's Eve Eve trivia with Geeks Under the Influence, both at Fallout. Then we've got Busky Comedy on the 27th of December uh, with Carlton K at Busky Cidery. Uh, I was just at the last one. Tons of great local comics doing amazing stuff, and uh, some of which you're going to see here and there at Booze Clues Live as well. We've got a, we got a few on the next bill, actually, including Carlton, the uh, host of Busky Comedy. So come and check out Booze Clues. Come and check out Busky Comedy. It's a, it's a great room for comedy. And it's free. Then on the 31st of December, New Year's Eve, we've got the New Year's Eve bash at Strange Ways and RVA, where you can get some variety show action, some burlesque, some sexiness, and enjoy ringing in the new year with burlesque right meow. And I uh, might even see a few geeks of the influence panelists and, uh, and friends out there as well. So that is our list of things in December. Check your calendars. Follow all this info at GUIPodcast.com. Follow all our social media. And we'll see you at the events. The views and opinions expressed on Smack My Pitch Up are those of the panelists and not those of GUI Network, their sponsors, or any of the properties mentioned. Listener discretion is advised. This podcast is rated R for violence, language, and nudity. Well, it's a podcast, so you won't see the nudity. I just do it to make the guest uncomfortable. Gone mad with unnecessary reboots, remakes, and sequels. Only one podcast has the guts to make it even worse. This is Smack My Pitch Up. Hello, geeks, and welcome to another episode of Smack My Pitch Up, the podcast that reboots, remakes, reimagines, sequels, sidequels, matches up, and adapts some of your favorite and least favorite properties from TV, film, and what have you. And tonight, we're going back to my youth. My youth. I believe I was uh, seven years old when this movie came out. Uh, this might have come out before my guest tonight was even born, I believe. Uh, I mean, what, what year was it made in again? 88. Uh, yeah, I was negative four years old. You were negative four years old when this movie came out, but this is one of those movies that you see when you're a kid. Oh, yeah. Or if you do, it becomes, like, part of your childhood. Not everybody has seen it. Like, I just recently reviewed this movie before we did this episode, and my girlfriend had never seen it before. And luckily, she very much enjoyed it. Uh, she was goo-gooing and gagaing over the little baby and, like, was enjoying all the just the goofiness and fun, the delight, the whimsy. Yeah. That is this movie, because it's very whimsy. Whimsy, I would say, is kind of an understatement in, in 
at least like 60% of the movie. Yeah, for sure. But how's she gone her whole life and not seen it, though? It's one of those things that if it wasn't on her radar as a kid, then by the time you're like 12 or 13, you're kind of past the point of being introduced to it. So some people just miss it. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't remember how old I was when I watched it, but I remember uh, my earliest memories was uh, hearing Alora Dan and like, mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> right. Uh, tonight we are talking about Willow from 1988, the uh, Ron Howard directed and uh, story and produced by George Lucas. Wasn't he a writer? Uh, no, he had the story for it. Uh, there was a script writer that took his story and developed it out into a full story, uh, but he had script approval and helped develop it and everything. So uh, okay. the idea of Willow came from him as well. And tonight helping me reboot, remake, and reimagine Willow is Sideshow. What's happening, everybody? You are uh, popping your cherry on the GUI network tonight. Yeah, this is uh, this is my first time ever being on here. Yeah, which we've known each other for years, and we've talked about you being on, and it just never happened until now. Just one of those... Ske- scheduling conflicts. Scheduling or that... coming up with something that we wanted to do. And so. I, I usually fall asleep as soon as I get home. Yeah, so. fair enough. You have a uh, a job that takes a lot of energy. Yeah. 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 Does take also a lot of energy is trying to figure out exactly what to do with a property like Willow. It being a oh, high fantasy type, oh, yeah. type of movie, there's, for reboots and remakes, there's only so many directions you would tend to go a lot of the time. So, And also, there's some challenges with the casting on this as well as half the characters are either little people <laughs> or real old ladies. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think I've got, you know, decent choices for some people. Sure. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I'll i be honest with everyone. I, I could not think of anyone to replace the great Warwick Davis. That's fair. And I had a little bit of a challenge as well. And I would say that one of my choices for, I believe my funny, I'm very content with my choice that I made for my serious take. It was more trying to go a different direction with the character where it's not just, you know, Warwick Davis is still working. So ultimately worst case scenario is you get him to reprise his role in the remake um, or uh, if anything, you know, if you're going to have, you know, if you want to bring Warwick Davis back, bring him back as the Elwin Elder that you see in the beginning of the movie. That, that is actually perfect. I love when you have a chance to bring back an actor from the original into a remake or reimagining. Yeah, it's, which it's is a, that's actually uh, one I, what I did with uh, one of my character choices. Fantastic. So, you know, I, I feel like he would be a really solid choice, but yeah. we'll, see, we'll see what happens. Now, a little uh, tidbit of information, and I'm not sure how much of this is uh, just uh, legend or it has been absolutely confirmed as fact, but the birth of Willow started when George Lucas was working on the original Star Wars script with all the ideas and everything. And initially, uh, Luke and Leia and a lot of the you know humanoids in Star Wars were going to be played by little people. Yeah, that was the initial thought process, and then when looking at casting and money and everything, that it turned out to be just like a not workable idea. It was be a massive undertaking to get that many little people like on the set and and working, you know, epic fights and all the stuff that goes along with Star Wars in that manner at that point with the budget he had, because not a lot of people remember the original Star Wars didn't have a huge budget. It was not expected to be what we know it to be today. I was, uh, you know, the original Star Wars. I remember a lot of the. Uh... You know, the, the star fighting and all that was done in his garage with these little figurines about like, what, like four inches to five inches in length or something? Well, that's much like Citizen Kane invented a lot of different uh, ways of shooting film. Star Wars was the advent of a lot of special effects practicalities as well. It was the birth of Industrial Light and Magic, which has become kind of the major special effects firm for Hollywood. A lot of those effects started from Star Wars. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of this stuff was done in a garage just out of necessity that they didn't have the money 
and the technology wasn't there to do it. So they just figured out how to do it. I mean, you know, if, if it works, it works. But, you know, the fact that he was able to, you know, make such an epic series, you know, like Star Wars. Yeah. And, you know, on such a low budget, you know. Says a lot. Oh, yeah. And uh, but what is nice of the unused idea of having little people playing the main characters, it's something that clearly stuck in his brain because come 1998 or 1988, a little film by the name of Willow comes out. And this is a high fantasy film uh, that was directed by Ron Howard, who was uh, actually early in his career as a director at that point. I think it was uh, it was definitely it was, it was one of his uh, first few movies, wasn't it? it was like, I believe so. I'm, I don't know. I don't think it was his first movie, but it was definitely like up there at the beginnings of, you know, I'm going to say it was like his third or fourth movie at that something point. Something along those lines. And now he's known as Ron Howard, the director. You know, oh, he's, yeah. he's long since been forgotten as Opie or the dude from Happy Days, you know, uh, and those that's not the pinnacle of his career. Stuff like Apollo 13 are more Which again, recognized. that was a fantastic movie. Absolutely. And I love that he ended up coming back into the Star Wars universe by uh, taking over the reins on Solo and directing Solo. So, Which I have not seen yet, so don't you dare give me any spoilers. I will not give spoilers. I will say that I personally like it more than a lot of people do. I wouldn't say that it's a perfect film by any stretch. It's got its flaws for sure, but it's a fun adventure caper movie. In my opinion, so that's that's all I need to hear to you know want to look at it more. Yeah, fair enough. I'm a fan of caper movies. You know, speaking of looking at it, I again revisited Willow for the first time in years for this episode, and I was worried about uh, nostalgia bias, where you go back and rewatch a movie from your childhood and you realize, wow, this isn't nearly as good as I remember it being. And though some of the special effects and stuff didn't age the best because a lot of it was practical. It wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the acting as hammy as it was, I was went in knowing that this was for kids, you know, this was supposed to be a kid's movie. So the acting is big, a lot of scenery chewing, a lot of mustache twirling by the villains, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, knowing that going in, I still had an absolute blast rewatching this movie. Oh, it's a thing you were mentioning about the visual effects. You know, you know, last night I, I was rewatching the movie. I was with my roommate and it was something a point that he brought up. He's like, really, if you look at the whole movie, the only you know visual effects that didn't really age too well were the brownies. Because you, you can see almost like a shadow on them when they're moving around, where they got put into the scene as tiny yeah. little characters. Yeah, which I mean, even when they get to the uh, the two handed the two headed beast at uh, Tyrus Lean, oh, uh, you know, even though you know, you look at it, it's like, oh, that's that's kind of that's kind of cheesy. You look at it, and it's like, you know what? For the for the time that it was made, that is that's beautiful. Beautiful. And I forgot how much I enjoyed the Battle of Tiraslin. Oh, my God. When there's the two-headed beast that's blowing fire, and it started from a troll that got, like, hit by the wand, and then it turns into this thing, and then, you know, Mad Mardigan runs out with the rest of the horde, and he's there, like, oh, fuck, I'm with the wrong people, like, which is a sticky thing that's been done before, but I love it so much, I don't give a shit. And uh, he's wearing the really awkward armor that he looks ridiculous in. And Which it, we, we started talking about. The, I don't know how we pulled this off, but we started talking about the practicality of his helmet. And we're both like, that is so not a safe thing to wear in your head, dude. Because it was, it was too wide. It was oh, floppy. for sure. Like, he had a strip of metal. Well, there's nothing practical about anything that George Lucas does. I mean, you look at Star Wars, for example. There's a dude in a big bulky suit with a full face mask with little goggle eyes and asthma and asthma. <laughs> that is the biggest bag badass in the galaxy next to maybe the emperor and, and Yoda. And he is a force to be fucking reckoned with. And that's more coverage than an old school medieval helmet would have. Oh yeah. Well, 
Yeah, no, no, no I'll give you that. Cause, yeah, yeah, it's also got sunglasses on it. You know, like it's, oh, dude, I would love a pair of those sunglasses. All you have to do is hide in the shade, and he can't find you because there's like there's he's got Ray Bans over his eyes at all times. I mean, he's, he's got scanners. Uh, whether or not the you know, he has night vision, totally different. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Um, you get me on Star Wars. I, yeah, I yeah. won't shut up about it. But I, I'm looking at Willow, thinking about while well, watching this again, thinking about how you would approach it in the modern day, and also looking at is there anything problematic from the time that just doesn't really translate today. And I was looking specifically at the scene where, oh, and spoilers, by the way, if you're listening to an episode about Willow, we're going to be talking about the movie Willow, that there's the scene where Mad Mardikin is dressed in drag trying to get escape the husband. And I was looking at it and really kind of thinking in modern terms, and there's nothing really specifically an issue with that. No, it's actually... It's, uh... it's dealt with relatively well. It's that he he's not... Even his like lady voice isn't too bad. It's just him really just not trying to be murdered by a husband that he was like cheating with the dude's wife. Uh, that was really the only bad part about that scene was he was you know stopping another man's wife. Yeah, and uh, I was looking at, at, at you know the sensitivities of uh, of you know the the trans community and anything, anything like that. And there's no point where he's playing a female character or anything. It's more it's played in just. And not like look at how silly he is in this women's costume. It's not. It's done well enough that I think yeah. as long as you're respectful, moving into a remake with that scene, there isn't going to be much of an issue, in, in my opinion. And now I, that's that's I, up open. I don't for think debate. he was necessarily. You know, it wasn't being done in jest. He was doing it as a form of cover. To, well, that, that's to, what I mean. It's like uh, the yeah. scene itself, as far as the film goes. That, oh yeah. There wasn't any point where you're supposed to believe this is a, a woman character or anything like that. Or which I mean. He did that a god awful part. Every time he'd lower it just to talk, you could see that that five o'clock shadow yeah, on his lip. I'm really like, good. Lug, how can you not see this? But also, they're in you know this like backwater brothel slash bar in the middle of nowhere, and all the women are like hard working ladies that are you know are oh, beat yeah. up and and they got put up back wet. So stubble is not a thing that anybody's worried about in that uh in that brothel at I mean, all. I mean now that you mentioned I'm pretty sure I saw like four women in there who had thicker beards than lugs. So. Yeah, so it's probably fine. Now, is there anything about the plot line that with your serious take, which is what we're going to approach first, that you're going to kind of change up to modernize it or just get get a different idea on it? Uh not, not like any tonal differences or any kind of changes to the story that you'd really want to work in just to kind of renew it or just kind of something you think was missed the first time around uh the one thing i really change and uh this was another thing that you know me me and my roommate were discussing last night was when they're traveling after they get you know they become prisoners after picking up finn Rizel, they somehow go from a rather you know almost you know coastal environment by the by the island and all of a sudden they're in the mountains you know walking through like four feet of snow like yeah where i I'm seeing like nothing but mountains. Like, where's the lake? Like, I get you might have been traveling for like a day. Okay. Because Mad Mardigan all of a sudden has new clothes. Sure. But like, can you please tell us exactly how long that's been or what happened in those several days? Give a better idea of just what kind of distance this is covering, like how long they've been there. Some yeah. kind of like some way of determining that. Yeah. And uh, and then, you know, when they finally get to the uh, the ice encampment, you know, or not the, yeah, the ice encampment where... uh. You know, everyone's locked up and all that, and I forget what the brownie's name was, the tall brownie, not the short one. Oh, that was uh, Frangine. Uh, Frangine, yeah. I remember the other one. Rule! The rule, yes. Uh, Frangine smacks Mad Mardigan in the face with the, uh, the dust of the broken heart. Yes. And, like, just on that, he managed to make Sorsha genuinely fall in love with him in the course of, what, like, six hours? Mm-hmm. 
if that. That was something that I wanted to kind of approach as well, is that the turn for Sorsha is a little too sharp, where you needed to have some kind of like understanding as to why. Um, so you want to just kind of like fill that out a little more, more, I guess. Yeah. Cause I mean, I get it like in the very beginning, you know, she gets talked down to her mom for saying like, I can't find the child and your know, mom pretty much belittles her for it and says, well, you're, 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 you're taking, a piece of shit. Yeah. Basically. You, I'm sending cable to you. You can't do your job. She's like, yeah. I don't need him. Like, no, it turns out she fucking didn't No. Um, which Kale, I would like to, you know, expand on that character a little more. I'd like to know why we need to be terrified rather than the fact that he's trying to look like, you know, What's his uh, uh, gray skull? Yeah, Skeletor. Skeletor. Thank <laughs> he you. totally fully Skeletors in that movie. Like that's the only thing that's making me afraid of this guy is a skeleton mask. Like, no, I want to. I want to be afraid of this guy. Like, let's get a little more backstory He's on him. Kind of Boba Fetting a little bit, where his outfit is fucking stellar. Oh, but yeah. he doesn't really do a whole lot during the movie. No, it's a, <laughs> she has betrayed you, my queen. Like, no, like no. Dude. Now the only thing is he has he kills Eric. Yeah. So that's a thing. And then he has the epic, you know, boss battle with Mad Mardigan in uh Terrasleen. And he, he manages to take the baby he manages to or take not uh, Terrasleen, that was that was uh the other one. That, that was, was uh, uh Nakmar. Yeah, Nakmar, uh yeah. Bad Mortis Castle. But uh even at you know Terrasleen, you know, he manages to steal uh you know, Danon from mm-hmm. from Willow. And yeah, I mean that's that's cool and all, but like how did he get his horse? into the tower where willow was <laughs> i get it willow was at the bottom of the stairs but willow did start to backtrack so how did he yeah so you're saying more that just kind of put a little bit better parameters on how people are getting to where they are during the... yeah a little bit more exposition okay because there are points where it, it's sharp turn hard here and i and think also you you're kind of hitting on something that going from the lake to the mountains and the amount of time passed and how short a pa- period of time goes between uh between when uh Sorsha despises Mad Mardigan and falls in love with him, you can use those two together where you see subtle takes throughout that kind of shows a better progression of her starting to appreciate well, I mean, who Mad Mardigan is. I mean, even, you know, right before he gets hit in the face with the uh, the dust, you know, he does look at her at one point and says, or she's like, what are you staring at? He's like, your leg. He's like, well, why are you staring at my legs? I think I want to break it. Like, I mean, okay, they still hate each other at that point, And then five minutes later in the movie... In the course of probably, what, a 45-minute walk? Yeah. They're now in the cages. Okay, so that's another hour, maybe two. It's not daylight, or it's not it's not nighttime. Sure. It's still daylight. All of a sudden, he can make her fall in love with a five-minute conversation. And there could be some real subtleties that would allow that to happen. Something about her appreciating a, a, a man that can hold his own, or a man of a certain kind of honor or something. And finally actually seeing some real affection in her life. For once. Yeah, something along those lines where you just throw a couple little nuanced lines in there. Just a couple. Doesn't even need to be overly played. Just so that there's some level of like, oh, I think she has a little bit of a thing for him. And he comes off reviled and hates her. And so the dust kind of allows him to show interest, which he's already got herself. Which, I mean, everything he's said in that scene, like I, if we were, if there was ever to be a remake, I would want those lines verbatim. Because that shit was cheesy. Oh, it was it so was fucking campy. Cheesy. It was beautiful. I mean, like that is that was, mm, that uh, was poetry. Fucking poetry. Mm, it was uh, meant. I with that scene in mind is kind of how I'm approaching a little bit of a change in the storyline a bit as well. And this is just a subtle nuance that because there's a lot of mustache twirling, there's pure good and pure evil. There's you know there's a lot that's stolen from Star Wars here. There's like good and evil, like dark and light there's a orphaned baby that is basically the moses story he's on like on a re- raft of reeds that goes down and is found by a community 
um, you know, orphan baby like Luke Skywalker, and then he's, uh, and then there's the evil empress, sorceress like the emperor, and then the masked like dude Kale that's Vader, and <laughs> and there's a magical force that a elder like incorporeal creature the um that is either a goat or a bird or uh whatever that thing was that little creature on the island uh, was a, uh, i think that was a sugar glider it was a, a sugar glider or something yeah, yeah but, something like that uh Rizelle it's a big eyed rat it's basically it obi-wan and willow is luke skywalker you know being trained by the so there's a lot of the same so that would make the uh the elwin elder yoda yeah, basically, yeah, actually, yeah. It'd be like, you know, you've had it all along inside you kind of shit. You know, that was the correct answer. That was the correct finger, yeah. So there's a lot of those notes that are kind of just like like William S. Burroughs writes where you just take a sentence and you rearrange the order of the words, and it's still the same words, but it says something a little bit different. That's kind of what I see as Willow as a high fantasy, non-sci-fi version of Star Wars. Oh, and one thing I would like uh, you know, at the very end of the movie was when, uh, you know, at the very beginning, Burgle Cut threatens to uh, steal Willow's land from him. Sure. I would like at the very end of the movie, you know, let's let's resolve that little bit. I mean, yeah, he gets he gets puked on and then he gets crapped on by the bird. That's funny. I want to see him get screwed over by Willow now. Like, I want sure. Willow to get legitimate revenge against <laughs> Burgle Cut. And I want Fungar to laugh at him. <laughs> Not even revenge where, like, he gets his land so much, but using his new magic abilities or something, like, very quickly his crops are, like, fucking legit. Like they're legit as shit. Oh no, I was just talking about you know just like you know just you know proving his superiority. You're talking about like just fucking his world up. Damn, no, not like taking his land or anything. I mean, just being like the Burgo Cut comes by and he looks up and there's like corn stalks that are like twenty feet tall, or at least look it because they're tiny. Yeah, <laughs> by Elwin standards. Yeah, or something along those lines would be like, yeah, dude, don't you worry, I got my land under control, kind of deal. How did you get Ace Crops that well? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> right. I'm a fucking sorcerer. I know the right finger. <laughs> yeah. But the way that I wanted to kind of approach where you could still have the mustache twirling, uh, you could also explain the quick turn by uh, Sorsha is that the earth itself contains good and evil, much like in uh, Dagobah, where there's a dark place that has kind of a, a residual dark force behind it that yeah. Luke has to go in and face his fears. A little bit of that where Nakmar is kind of built into that area and all the earth around it, anything that you smith or mine from the area has those properties of like negative feelings that kind of like Im are imbued into the people that wear it. So it's, it's, it's a lot like, uh, yeah, like you said, Dagobah's uh, dark place or even, you know, if you know, let's go with another epic Lord of the Rings, you know, kind of like how Mordor is just pure fucking evil. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And like the ring itself in Lord of the Rings, uh, kind of creates a negativity on the person that wears it, or at least an obsession with the properties, something like that, where the reason why, the sorceress is uh, Queen Bavmorda is the way that she is. She's been living in this area for most of her life. So she's like beyond redemption at this point. Oh yeah. Whereas Sorsha is going out on these raids is like going away from the territories uh, has is still young enough that she's not fully like taken over by it. And the reason for her turn is that you basically kind of explain a way that her gear, her armor. Oh no, uh, it's was, a better one is uh, she was around a uh, Laura Dannon who is a source of light. Yes, yeah, and the same thing as the light light source. The other spot, um, uh, Tiris Lane. Tiris Lane is like the the light force, and that's why Mad Mardigan, when he puts on the armor, suddenly has a better sense of honor and is like more imbued with the the uh, natural resources of the area. So the armor has an additional necessity to it. Um, the explanation of them being together, where 
she's around Laura Dannon, who kind of changes her stuff when she's being poeticized to. She's not in her armor. She's in just like a dress, a nightgown. So she's not being affected at the time. Yeah, she's by, not in. Uh, she doesn't have Nockmortian gear on her to stunt the light. And also, like, Alora is in the room with her. She's sleeping next to the baby, basically. So oh yeah. It allows, with just a little bit of language at the beginning. There's a like in in the this is the dark days, and then you just go into it. You give a little bit more of a scrawl at the beginning of like you know there are sources of darkness and sources of light, and those that use the properties from either are imbued with those things or something some along mean, those lines. Which I mean, with uh, Tears Slaying, they did kind of, you know, kind of uh, toy with that idea a little bit, you know, from uh, Rizal. You know, she's telling him you have to get to Tears you know, that's where you'll be safe. There's an army there. She's basically implying that Tears itself is a place of light, which is why Bad Morta had to, you know, turn everyone to stone. Sure. So, yeah, you know, with, you, know you were saying with uh, Mad Mardigan putting on that armor, it would make more sense for him to become more honorable, more distinguished, you know, a sure. better person. So and yeah, that would be a good plot point. You could even work in where it's kind of a, if you want to have some subtle subtext about what it's actually trying to say, something along the lines that it's a combination of, you know, uh, nature and nurture, that it's, you know, uh, how you were raised and also like where you come from, you know, that, that as opposed to the genetics of things, instead of the womb, you know, your, your family history, it's more about the territories from which you come, that the uh, Willow and his people, the... Uh, the uh, no ones, no ones. They uh, they're neutral, and that's kind of why his story is so interesting because it's a man that comes from nowhere. That he has no predispositions either way, and chooses to be good, chooses to do the honorable thing. It's not that he's compelled either way. Yeah. There is nothing pushing him either direction. He does it because he's chosen to be the good person. Well, that uh, you know, in, in the Elwin culture, you know, their definition of good and evil isn't anywhere near as severe as it is in the Daikini culture. Sure. You know, you know like Burgle Cut, you know, by Elwin standards, he's a bad guy. But when you see him around a Daikini, it's like, no, he just wants to live and go home. Yeah. He's not actually a bad person. Yeah. He's just a dick. He's just kind of selfish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's kind of that instead of it just being this kind of old school mustache twirling kind of approach that you're more making commentary about, like, man's connection to the land and nature and nurture and and explaining a little bit of the nuances of the story with just a simple kind of like association at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. So that that's my only real big difference that I'm taking to it. I mean, no, I, I, I can't, uh, there's nothing I could think of that would actually make it sound better than that. That's actually a good way to, you know, not necessarily reinvent the movie, but modernize it. Exactly. Cause you're not really changing any of the, any of the beats. Like the story is relatively the same. You're just adding an additional element that kind of rounds out the corners a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, make those sharp, hard turns, you know, more, more gradual yeah. and more understandable, more relatable. Yeah. Even. And, uh, yeah, I, I personally think that that would actually make it a solid remake. Really. I think that would work pretty well. Oh yeah. Now we're getting into our actual castings here. So for your, uh, serious take or not necessarily serious in tone, but the take you think would work the best. Um, you said you were having trouble with a director, right? Uh, director, I've still have got nothing in front of me, man. Uh, but as far as tonally, are you trying to make it, you know, more serious or more funny or kind of like an action adventure or similar in tone to the original? I mean, I, I'd rather, you know, tone wise, I would like to go with, you know, the action adventure that it had with the, you know, the sprinkling of comedy throughout it. I mean, there was parts where it was funny as all hell. Oh, hell yeah. You know, gentlemen, meet Lug. That was the funniest moment of that oh, whole yeah. movie. <laughs> he just fucking runs through those guys. 
But uh, no, I'd say like, you know, and this is going to be kind of a cop-out answer in terms of director, but, you know, he's done numerous movies that, you know, could be considered epics in some way or another, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg, absolutely. And, you know, it's not like he's unfamiliar with doing a George Lucas property. I mean, he, Indiana Jones. I mean, yeah, that's, that's why I said it was a yeah. cop-out. You know, he's used to doing epic movies. Um, now, other directors I've thought of but didn't use myself is that you've got, like, you know, who did Lord of the Rings. you got Peter Jackson. If you want to have maybe a slightly darker tone, almost got go that, like, old-school Muppet thing uh, or Dark Crystal kind of tone to it, then you can go with, like, Guillermo del Toro. That's who I was just thinking of. Guillermo right would be a great choice as well. I try not to use him too much because he's such a go-to for a lot of the things we do on the show. But, I mean, in the world of Willow, though, you know, Especially, you know, you, you don't really see too many uh, supernatural creatures like you normally do in his movies. No, you've got like the devil dog creatures. You got the devil dogs. You got the trolls. The trolls. And, uh, and then the two-headed fire-breathing monster. I mean, I want to call it Hydra, but it's it's lacking three heads. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, hail Hydra. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it, it does have some supernatural elements, but much like uh, what I liked about Game of Thrones is that it's mostly a medieval show with elements of the supernatural thrown in, but it's a very minor amount. It's not high fantasy like Lord of the Rings is, where it's all these different creatures all the time. Yeah. Lots of magic. You know, there's some. Yeah, it's a... No, it's a... Yeah, no... Actually, huh. Yeah, I never really thought about it, but Willow is pretty much the precursor to Game of Thrones. Holy crap. Yeah, <laughs> kind um, of. Which, you know, was not brought up as a that's mashup. It. But that's how we found out who the real Night King was. It's the Night Queen. It was Bavmorta. There it, we Bavmorta go. was the Night Queen, for she sure. She got transported to the land of Westeros. And was the mother of the Night King. Yes. Yeah, yes. there we go. Yes. <laughs> we, we solved it. We've cracked this We egg. got you, George R.R. Yes. Martin. So, for tonally, so you're looking like the classic, like, much underdone nowadays because there are epics that are put out but oh, they're yeah. taken a little bit more seriously or they're completely comedic and having that nice nuanced balance where that was the thing in the 80s you've got stuff like romancing the stone and indiana jones and willow and like, these movies that they're fun they're rompy you know they're that's uh I don't think it came out in the 80s. I think it came out in the early 90s, but uh, The Princess Bride. Princess Bride, absolutely. I mean, it was definitely funny, but it had all of the elements of, a, of an epic in it. You sure. Know, you had fantasy, you had sword fighting, mm -hmm. romance, comedy, the mustache twirling. For sure. <laughs> I'd never do death with a Sicilian. Yeah, no, that, you know, that, that whole bit. Although what I do love is even with the mustache twirling and Princess Bride, you understood the motivations to a point where it didn't come off as just like, I love being evil. You know, that kind of yeah, no. old school Cobra Commander kind of way of doing things. <laughs> <laughs> being evil is the best. No, it was more nuanced than that. And so, yeah, I just want to bring a little bit more of that to Willow because, yeah. Uh, Bev Morda is basically like, evil is great, and yeah. good is e terrible. Yeah. The only motivation that I'm going to murder a baby. That, that was really her only motivation was, you know, she wants to just, you know, we're going to kill the baby so she can't kill me. Like, uh, um, okay, precursor to Voldemort. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> at least Voldemort, you know, he was, you know, you saw his whole history. You saw what his made progress. evil. Yeah, for With sure. With Bev Morda, it's just like, yeah, okay, this is the bad guy. This is her reason for wanting to kill the child. I'm like, that's a piss poor reason. Give me something more. Yeah. So that's it. Just kind of filling out a little bit of the, uh, filling out the characters just slightly more, which, you know, in the eighties, you didn't really need to do that as oh, much. Oh yeah, no. Especially, uh, like you said, it was a, it was a kid's movie. You sure. Know, toddler to, you know, preteen. But I, and I think it's a lot of, lot to do with the progression where comic books land, landed, where, uh, comic books now, you know, you expect to know the motivations of the characters. You got like the X-Men where you understand why Magneto thinks the way he does. He's not evil. He's just got a more militant ideology than the X-Men. 
Yeah, he's he's far more aggressive in his actions, whereas, you know, Professor X, you know, Xavier was let's use violence yeah. as a different time. <laughs> exactly. So so you want a little bit more nuance in your villains nowadays, and uh so that's that's just all I would want to bring as well to these characters. Like yeah. like you said, just fill in the blanks a little bit. Flesh them out some. Sure. So as far as fleshing out, uh you've got some casting for your your serious choice here. Oh, I've I've got quite a Quite a quite a number of people. All right. So who do you got for? Uh, you said Willow was kind of a tough choice. Willow, I I couldn't I couldn't pick anyone. That's um, tough. You I need, mean I you I, need to have a Willow character, but also like it's Warwick Davis. He's still working. <laughs> yeah, there is one actor though. Unfortunately, he passed away. Um, and every time you yeah, every movie I've ever seen him in, I've only seen a couple movies where he spoke. And every time he spoke, it was kind of insightful and poetic almost. Was uh, Vern Troyer. Vern Troyer. Yep. Yeah. Uh, although he. He's real little. Like, yeah, he was, he was definitely really very little. little, which would be really tough for a lot of the scenes, especially carrying the baby. Oh, yeah. Where the baby's as big as him yeah. would be kind of <laughs> kind of tough. I mean, again, you know, something we were uh, talking about prior to you know this episode was you know just you know go the same way as uh, Reese John Davis, you know the way they did uh, Gimli. Sure. Yeah, I mean that that could totally work. That, but but there is a lot of conversation about you know there are so many limited roles for little people in film to have a regular size actor play the character. It's a little bit easier when it's a fantasy character, but it is uh, it's I've, height I've, washing. I don't know if that's oh, an actual term or not. You know what? You just coined it, and that's actually a good way to height look at washing. It. Yeah. But uh, now again with Willow, I'm I'm I I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I'm positive that there is an actor out there, a little person who's a amazing actor who could fill that role besides clearly peter dinklage which is who i avoided because it's such a like every, he's the go-to any but he also doesn't like playing parts that are specifically focused as being a little person yeah, no if uh if peter dinklage was in this movie uh burgle cut yeah he's he he's not dopey you know there's needs to be a dopiness to willow yeah well it's not necessarily a dopiness it's a uh a type of a uh, naivety What's that? An innocent. That well, Luke Skywalker kind of like whiny kind of. Yeah. Like, okay, by the end of it, he's a lot more confident. Sure. sure but in the beginning, he's just like. Mm-hmm. No, Peter. He does Dink- the throwing up his hands move all the time. Like, I don't like, exasperated. Like, don't don't take the baby out of the river. Took the baby out of the river. Okay, don't fall in love with it. Uh, we're going to fall in love with it. <sighs> but, uh, you yeah, know, Peter Dinklage, I feel like he would be a perfect. Bur- uh, yeah, Burgle cut. Burgle feel- cut. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Total dick. Yeah. He, he, he would have fun with that role, too. Like, I feel like if, like, all right, Peter, we, we need you to do uh, a part for a little person, he'd be like, fuck that. Uh, it's for a Burgle cut and a Willow remake. I'm in. Yeah. Fuck we're, it. We're totally doing this now. As long as I can wear my space pants. Um, <laughs> okay, so for Mad Mardigan, another very important role, this is that classic. Uh, you know, it, it's very common in, well, lots of movies, but especially George Lucas movies, you've got the scoundrel. That's the Indiana Jones character, the Han Solo character. And then there's Val Kilmer as Mad Mardigan. Uh, who are you getting to play the, uh, the, you know, true action hero of this movie? Uh, you know, with, with Mad Mardigan, yeah, I mean, yeah, he was an absolute scoundrel, but at the same time, you know, he was like, you, know, you look at him, it's like, that guy's a warrior. Yeah. Uh, I went with, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Solid. Very solid. I was kind of thinking along those lines myself. I I didn't go fully Hemsworth with it, but I know I've I've I've, yeah, I've watched a lot of his movies, and you know a lot of his movies he does play you know the the brooding serious guy, but at the same time he can play this really serious role and put a hilarious edge to it. He's got some good comedic timing for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, solid. I dig that a lot. And you know that's that's Mad Mart again. He is a badass, but he's also cocky. Yeah, 
He's sarcastic. Yep. And doesn't care. And he's a little bit of a, he's kind of a little slimy too. Like he, he oh, he's he definitely was, a sleaze. He he's found definitely found in sleazy. a cage. Like that's how they found him being like, Peck, bring me water. You know, I'll, he, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that baby real good, mister. I got these cheeseburgers, you know, like he was. Plus, I mean, if, uh, if you think about it, you know, there, another reason why I picked out Chris Hemsworth, you know, he, he played Thor was, uh, you know, the first time you see Mad Mardigan, he's locked up in a cage, makes a threat and then starts making jokes. Thor Ragnarok. Yep. Also, I made a I got these cheeseburgers man joke and you didn't laugh and I'm kind of upset about it. And all honestly, I barely caught that. Okay. <laughs> I wish that was more of the case. You know, I do have to be definitely are at this point. It's like, man, come on, man. Let me out of this cage, man. I've got these cheeseburgers, man. No. I got these cheeseburgers, man. I'll suck your dick, man. I put them. Hold on, wait, what you say? Wait, what? <laughs> well, I was like, all right, real quick. <laughs> Alora, look away. Um <laughs> All right, so not Mad- around the baby. Yeah, right. Uh, Hemsworth uh, is playing Mad Mardigan. What about your Sorsha? Uh, Sorsha, uh, uh, Marina Baccarin. Oh, solid choice. Because she can come off as like hard, like, like oh, hard. Whip yeah. your ass. I'll beat the shit out of you. But on the same end, there is just a a real beauty to her, and she, she's she has this elegance to her. Sure, it, it's a hard edge elegance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I feel like she'd. She would do that role, you know, perfect justice. Absolutely. I dig that a lot. That That's solid. Uh, what about your Queen Bavmorda? Uh, Queen Bavmorda, you know, is, I've actually got a selection of choices, really. Uh, one of my choices is also, you know, in a, in a joke sense, but I've got another one with that. But my number one, Angelica Houston. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Morticia. Yeah. Yeah, you know, clearly elegant, fucking perfect. And she's got that darkness to her. And sure, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, what was that one? She did a movie where she was like a fashion designer or something where she was just fucking cunty. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, uh, oh God. You know what I'm talking about? I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But, uh, I'm sure, you know, your listeners out there, you're going to immediately be like, Oh, he's talking about this. He's I've already been told that people yell at the speakers when they listen to us. So, <laughs> Oh good. I'm, I'm getting hate mail. <laughs> now, usually we got a pretty good audience, so you'll be, you'll be mostly okay. But, I'll uh, get it. If anything, <laughs> I hang out with you. I'm going to get That's the mail. I'll, I'll share it with you. <laughs> so, but, uh, but yeah, no, Angelica Houston, I feel like would be a perfect Bav Morda. Okay. I really see that. Absolutely. That, and, oh, man, like mine's good, but your yours is solid. Who I is really yours? Like that. Uh, well, we'll get to mine. I'm oh, going to okay. let you roll through yours and then well, uh, we'll... well, my second one, you know, and she's also part of the, uh, the joke list, but is also serious again because of who she's portrayed in other epics, uh, Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton for sure, yeah. You know, like I've you've seen her in you know Constantine. You know she played Gabriel, mm-hmm. very condescending at the very end, which you you find out she's bad, and then a Narnia. Yep, she actually plays an evil queen. Now, as much as there are issues with uh, Constantine, not like problematic issues, just like it's not the best movie. Oh no, but I still loved it. She is incredible, and she's like super androgynous as the character, as as uh, what is it, Gabriel? Yeah. she plays, and like is both like stunning and really fucking intense at the same time. Uh, Again, she that whole... has that that hard edge. Yeah, elegance absolutely. To her. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah th- those would be my two serious choices. I don't know who who would win, but. I feel like those two would be the perfect, uh, perfect nice. choices. Now, who else do you have? Because I, I knew you were going to have those characters, but then there's a limit to the number of characters we can have. So, uh, who uh, else? Did uh, you... no, we'll, we'll get to the jokes later. We'll get to the jokes later. <laughs> okay. So, who else do you have for major characters that you've cast here? Uh, major characters like uh, General Kale. Kale. Okay. Um, I'm gonna have to say uh, Val Kilmer. I dig it. 
bring Val Kilmer back as General Kale and just you know, except, you know, that would definitely help flesh the character out more, make him more rounded. Like, li- literally flesh it out and round him a little bit because it's Val Kilmer. Yeah, <laughs> solid. He's gotten heavier. Yeah, But uh, I bit. feel like he could definitely pull off Kale. And again, that's bringing back, you know, an original, you know, actor. It's from the ironic movie. that the character is named Kale and probably should eat more of it also. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I like that. And also because you see him with his mask down most of the time, that could be a big reveal, not just of it being just a normal human-faced man, but that it's Val Kilmer. Just for the geeks that love the original, oh, you've yeah. got that reveal that it's actually Val Kilmer playing Kale. That would be cool. Oh, absolutely. I feel like that would just be the perfect. I like that. I like that. Uh, who else do you have? Oh, and uh, for the the brownies. Yep, you got to do the brownies. The brownies, this one, I I mean, I can go either way with this one, really, but uh, we'll save the joke one you know, as my second choice. But uh, my primary choice, Jack Black and Jay Burrowchell. Oh, wow. You went with Jay Baruchel, which I appreciate deeply because I'm usually one that tries to shoehorn him into stuff. And I I thought about that being actually a solid role for him. Oh, absolutely. uh, Shying away from it because I would be told that I was doing it just because I love Jay Baruchel. And when it's actually I could see that. Yeah, no, I'm I'm also a fan of Jay. So you're in good company, my friend. Excellent. (laughs) Excellent. And then uh, Rizel, this is I've got one name for both the serious and. And comedic version. Okay. Betty White. Betty White. You know, I circled around that as well. I decided to go with a different actress. But yeah, like Betty White is super solid. I really dig that. She can play serious. She can play fucking like, when okay, also, listen here, boy. She's so beloved. People would go out just to see her being a badass sorceress. I mean, oh, are you yeah. kidding me? That would I mean, be amazing. I don't know who. I mean, Ryan Reynolds might want to see her topless, but now. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> All right, so that's your cast list. That is my cast list. What do you got for me? What I got is I wanted a director that's, you know, seasoned and knows how to work with big epic set pieces and maybe is familiar with uh, sword and sorcery or the fantasy elements as well, but also knows how to go from playful to dark. And I decided to go with the director, David Yates. Now, if you're unfamiliar, uh, he started with, uh, or not started, but he really became a bigger known director from doing a bunch of the Harry Potter movies. He did uh, the Half-Blood Prince, Dark Phoenix, or not Dark Phoenix, uh, Order, Order of the, the Phoenix. Phoenix. Sorry, <laughs> not Dark Phoenix. No, no, no. I'm sorry, David Yates. I, I didn't mean to t- say Every Harry Dark Potter Phoenix. fan is now purchasing firearms to yes, hunt you for that. absolutely. And uh, Deathly Hollows 1 and 2 as well. So there's definitely a wide gamut of the tone that he can approach in a fantasy element as well. And he's worked with wizards. So, you know, not actual as far as I know. Oh, well, you don't know. Yeah, you never know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, no. The fact that you you mentioned just those movies alone with an epic, uh, you know, David Yates would definitely give this, you know, definitely give the remake a darker feel, a slightly it. darker feel, but still fun. And oh, that's yeah. the thing; you still got to have it fun. I wanted that playful darkness. Uh, he also in charge of all the Fantastic Beasts movies, and uh, he also did that Tarzan movie with uh, one of the uh, uh, Scarsborough Scarsguard Scarsguard. Yeah, that yeah, one name. one of the Scarsguards. Uh, the, the, one, the, the oldest one. The True Blood one. Yeah. Uh, yeah what yeah. was that? Eric? Yes, Eric. Uh, yes. Which I, I've actually got a name for, Eric. Nice. And it's only because of Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> nice. Nice. So, uh, yeah, so that's my my director. For actors, it was really tough with Willow. I understand you just not casting someone. I decided to go with a younger uh, little person as an actor that usually does very comedic roles. I would definitely, instead of like whiny, be more like the kind of lazy approach to it where just you know he has a wife and kids and stuff like that and just really is trying to figure out a way to kind of get around 
taking all that seriously, like is avoiding growing up a little bit and is more the approach as opposed to whiny. And so going through this whole thing and having to take a certain level of responsibility for this, you know, this daikini baby. Yeah, just someone, you know, someone he literally pulled out of the, you know, pulled yeah. out of nowhere. Just like, uh, there's a kid in the water. What the- that kind of matures him and makes him realize how important family and life is and all the stuff and, you know, life lesson learned and everything. Ironic, considering he has two children and it takes another child to make him go, yeah, no, I should grow up. I like, should grow up. Yeah, exactly. Terrible father, dude. But also <laughs> it shows like the mother uh, who was a great actress in the original. Oh, um, yeah. That she was the one kind of taking the helm of raising the kids and being the one, the responsible one in the family. And so I, I went with a Communic- a stand-up comedian slash actor, um, little person by the name of Brad Williams. I was actually just thinking about him. I, yeah. I saw where you were going with this. I'm like, eh. Yeah, he's, he was in Little Evil. He was in the uh, Christopher Guest series Mascots that was on Netflix and uh, Deadbeat as well, which I think is a Hulu series. Uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of things about Deadbeat. I've, I've yet to see it. But... I've yet to see it. I've heard really good things myself. Oh, so have I. But also a incredibly funny comedian in his own right. So... I think oh, he would have a lot of fun in the role, and honestly, this would definitely be a step up moment for him as well. Which I didn't kinda, mean I'm the pun there. I'm kind of myself but... right now for not thinking of him because I'm I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, so I'm I'm kicking myself right now for not thinking about that. <laughs> it's definitely a bit bigger than anything he's done before, and I again I'm not meaning these puns here, but it it's I think he has the talent to be able to pull you it off. Heightest, <laughs> right? It's more that I think that it, you being a comedian or a comedic actor that's the hardest thing to do. So if you can act comedically, comedically, then you can do just about any other kind of acting. It's been proven time and time again by comedians that started taking serious roles and knocked it out of the park. Oh, yeah. I mean, Robin Williams, Jim Carrey. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a, what a classic approach. I mean, if, if but the thing is, like, you can't go too hammy if you're doing a remake and trying to make it a little more serious. Yeah. Ham it up a little. A little bit, yeah. Which, uh, you know, Brad Williams, especially with the arm flailing thing, you know, Brad Williams can totally do that. Oh, for sure. But, uh, you know, definitely, like, bring it, dial it back a little bit. Yeah. Just enough to where it's like, okay, he's still fucking immature, but he's growing. But then we've got uh, Mag Mardigan. I'm going to fly through because we still got to get to our funnies, which we don't have to dig in too deep on those. But uh, for Mad Mardigan, I wanted the scoundrel. I wanted the... Dude, that's like got got a heart of gold, but he needs to get out of his own way first, kind of deal. And there's a a actor that is pl- portraying that character in the new run of Star Wars movies, and also is a great actor, um, who is from aside from Star Wars was in X Men Apocalypse. His Apocalypse, as much as that movie was trash, that was a very challenging role, and he didn't do too bad. He uh, is in the new Dune movie. Uh, he was in Annihilation, Ex Machina, Inside Llewellyn D- Llewellyn D- Davis. We're talking, uh, of course, Oscar Isaac. Fantastic actor, in my opinion. Uh, and yeah, I, no, he, he, yeah, no, he, he could totally pull he off. He could Matt do Martin it. Again. He's not quite as, uh, you know, athletic beefcake as uh, Hemsworth, but he does have a. Li- he could play that little bit of sliminess a little bit more than Hemsworth could. Oh yeah. So it's taking away some of the pure like, this is the badass barbarian character, and adding a little bit of like, there's a reason why he's in that cage. <laughs> like a little bit more of that. Uh, for my Sorsha. I thought it'd be a nice little note since Ron Howard was the director of the first one to get his daughter, Bryce Dallas Howard, who is a stunning redhead in her own right, to play Sorsha. It makes total sense to me. It would be kind of a a tip of the hat to the original director. And also, she's an incredible actress in her own right. Uh, She's been in a bunch of stuff, including Spider-Man 3, Jurassic World, Lady in the Water, The Village, Apollo 13. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, now now, now I know who you're talking about. Yeah. So she's, she's amazing. She would 
knock it out of the park. And also it'd be kind of fun to be in the remake of a film that was like one of your dad's early movies that he directed. That was one of his biggest, you know, historically awesome movies yeah. for him now. That'd be super fun. And plus I, 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 I kind of want to see her kick, uh, you know, either Oscar Isaac or Chris Hemsworth in the, in face. the face. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that would be priceless for me. Then for Queen Bev Morta, I wanted a killer actress, like can be intimidating, but on the same end, um, there's some nuance to the character approach. And I've always been a deep fan of this actress. That's a classically trained, uh, British actress that is mostly known for small feature stuff, television and, and theater, but also became very well known as uh, McGonagall in the Harry Potter series. Maggie Smith. Oh, Maggie Smith. Uh, she doesn't seem like she would be a queen bitch. That's kind of what I wanted to approach it as, as opposed to the like mustache world, like evil is good and good is bad kind of approach. More of just this like stern, like motivated where like there's no zero empathy, like negative empathy with the way that she approaches things. So it's not so much as just like, I love being evil so much as like, I'm doing this because I only give a shit about what affects me kind of approach. So very, she could put, you know, portray someone who's very selfish. Yes. Deeply okay. selfish instead and motivated of just, instead of Saturday morning cartoon villain. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I think, I think she could play that kind of version of Bav Morta, which I mean, no offense to, you know, to fans of the original Bav Morta, but she did kind of camp that one up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got uh Rizelle, I also cast and I wanted somebody a little bit, there's something about Rizelle that comes off as like borderline, not really sure what's going on. <laughs> she's kind of like, she's either mostly nude or she's like in like a, ba- a bathrobe and it's just like, I remember doing magic a long time ago. You know, there's a little bit of that and I love that and I want to have an actress that can really push that uh, forward. So I went with Cloris Leachman as Rizelle. If you're unfamiliar, she was the grandma in Beer Fest. Uh, she was in Spanglish, raising Hope as oh, the uh, as the mom or the grandmother of Hope. Let's see, American Gods, Young Frankenstein. She uh, was even in, uh, believe it or not, Malcolm in the Middle. She was the grandmother yep. in that, and she was also uh, originally best known for being in Mary Tyler Moore. So oh yeah, that's where she comes from. So uh, that's Roselle. Then we've got the Brownies are my last two. Um, I did not cast a Kale mainly because I wanted to keep it at seven, and Kale has very limited lines. You just need kind of a you know, I think honestly, the Val Kilmer choice is the best choice for Kale. Like, I'll just take yours. <laughs> yeah. That's Kale. I'm gonna have one other choice, and that's that's two. That that one was a cop out. Yeah, but I kind of went the same route that you did with uh, Rule and Frangine. That it's got to be, you know, they're the comedic relief. The, they're the R2D2 and C3PO of this film. They're uh, they're comedic actors. They're buddies that you want to cast a pair that's gonna be able to play together well. And I thought it'd be super fun for a role that's not really that involved in the plot. There's a couple points, but for the most part, they're just there to make jokes and be silly and just kind of be the the audience in the film. Uh, so I went as kind of a nod to high fantasy in general. Uh, Sean Austin, in his uh, rule that was played by Kevin Pollack, uh, you may know him as Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. And then uh, Frangine will be played by Elijah Wood, <laughs> who was Mr. Frodo Baggins. Uh, and there are the brownies in this and can just like oh. goof it up super fucking hard and be wide open. And uh, I'll do you one better. I cannot remember their, their real names for the life of me, but uh, Mary and Pip, the other two hobbits. Mary and oh, Pip. see, that would also work super well. Yeah. I mean, those two were pretty much, you know, the they rule basically and were brownies in that movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that would be super fun. So that, that's my cast list. 
Now we've got our funny. Um, oh, yeah. Now, tonally, uh, what do you have as far as how you're approaching this? Are you doing it like super serious? Are you going like full parody? Are you going sci-fi? Uh, uh, like full-blown parody. Okay. So we're doing kind of like a Mel Brooks-style kind of approach to it a little bit? Exactly. Or? Okay. All right. So for that, uh, what are we looking at as far as a willow? Do you have a willow or you're just uh, not? Willow, not... I, again, I couldn't think of anyone. Let's just go ahead and throw Warwick, that, that... Warwick Davis back in there for, for that. No, no, for the parody, I'm going to have to steal yours, Brad, Brad Williams. Williams. Yeah. Brad Williams would fit for a perfect I mean, he's, he was in like superhero movie and all those like date movie and all those movies. He was in those. So he's already done parody. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it's a solid fit. Uh, so, so for Mad Mardigan. Mad Mardigan, uh, Carrie Elwes. Carrie Elwes is solid, yes, absolutely. I mean, and also a nod to Princess Bride, to Prince of Thieves. Uh, uh, yeah, Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Or Men in Tights, sorry, yeah, yes. Prince of the, Thieves was uh, the other guy. Uh, Men in Tights was, I can speak with a British accent. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Carrie Elwes, though, you know, he does have, you know, comedic training. He does actually have sword training. Yeah. So even, you know, and he can play a slime ball if he really wanted to. Sure. So, you know, he's, he's pretty much got the grounds for both serious and parody, but it's fucking Carrie Elwes. You're going to want to see him in the parody. Sure. Hell yeah. And, uh, you know, for my uh, my choice on the uh, for Sorsha is uh, Jaina Mays. Uh, she was uh, she's actually in a couple of, uh, you know, the, what was the uh, the sequel to Bad Santa? Oh, okay. Batter uh, Santa. Yeah, Batter Santa. She was an epic movie, which was a parody to Narnia. Sure. She was Lucy the Dumbass. Okay. That was I swear that was her actual character's name. <laughs> and uh, you know, for Rizel, Betty White. Betty White can go both ways. Yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, she absolutely could. And for the brownies, solely because they're called brownies, and I immediately thought hash brownies, Cheech and Chong. Fucking solid. Fucking solid. Because you know, yeah. the second someone said, uh, are those brownies? No, man, we ain't got no fucking brownies. We got no brownies, but I... <laughs> we got hash. We can make some. We can make some brownies. <laughs> like, I, I would love to see those two. Plus, uh, stoned out. Uh, I've actually seen, uh, there's this one movie that they were both in called Yellowbeard. As, uh, it's got, oh, yeah. It's got several members from Monty Python in it. Mm-hmm. And the way their voices were in the movie... Reminded me so much of uh, the brownies and Willow. I was like, that, that's that's it. Yeah. That's fucking it right there, dude. Hell yeah. Excellent. I dig it. So that's your, your cast for your funny? For Eric. Oh, Eric, yes. Eric, because uh, I, I, I couldn't think of anyone to parody Kale. I mean, Kale just like leave him super serious and he's the one serious. serious he's character. the face guy of the fucking movie. Sure. And he just gets screwed over like uh, uh, Sheriff from Nottingham and Men in Tights. Sure. Um, for Eric, Chris Evans. I like it. I like it a lot. And he would, he's done a little bit of comedy, but not much at all. No, it's, uh, but you know, you look at uh, Scott Pilgrim's. Sure. You know, him uh, in that movie. He's him one of the... playing it straight in a comedy works really well. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then, uh, you yeah, have the new movie that is uh, the knife movie that he's the Knives new... Out. Knives Out. I really want to see that. Uh, he plays the perfect dick, which Eric was kind of a dick in, in the movie. Yeah. You know, you'd go from being a dick to all of a sudden, like, dead serious, like, they, you know, they destroyed the army, yada, yada, yada. I feel like Chris Evans could really do that. It's like, hey, you're in a fucking cage, bitch. Like, <laughs> nice. Like, really, man? What happened to the army? Oh, they all died. They're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> that's it. It goes back to being a dick. Nobody else, just me. I'm the only one. <laughs> those those would be uh those would be my choices. Uh Bab Morda, um, and I'm spacing on the actress's name, and she's absolutely hilarious. She was also in a epic movie mm-hmm. as you know, the the parody to Tilda Swinton's evil queen from Narnia. Sure. She was also in American Pie, Stifler's Mob. 
Oh, yes. She's also been in a bunch of Christopher Guest movies as well, oh, yeah. like or, or Best in Show, and I think she was even in Mascots as well. She was in Mascots. Uh, she was in uh, Clueless. Yep. And she plays really ditzy characters, but at the same time, in uh, you know, the epic movie parody to Narnia, she played the evil queen. It's like, all right, cool. Perfect. Well, fit. there you go. Perfect. Yeah. She's got the experience. Nice. Now, with me, I didn't go with a full parody. I went tonally very different than the original. Ooh. And I thought, you know, what's the worst way you could approach a movie like Willow that is full of whimsy and uh, an adventure is have it more of a war procedural kind of approach to it, where this is post the big epic battles where evil is mostly won at this point, And there's little segments of good that are fighting against the evil. And you make it more about like the actual tactics steering it than the actual so like, very, very Star Wars, uh, like prequel Star Wars level, where it's more talking about the the. Well, I'm saying if like you already got the bad guys ruling, then you know obviously the you know, the Empire's taken over. Now you got the Rebel Alliance. Oh sure, up. but I'm talking about like tonally, you're more looking at it with a very serious tone, like not much humor in it at, in it at all, aside from maybe the brownies, because you got to have at least a little bit, and you make it more about just the the nature of war is more what it's a conversation on as opposed to actual this like story about these characters. It's more about the nature of it. And I went with a director that was known for a lot of things, including some some mildly comedic stuff. And I did not realize she's done all this. Near Dark, the movie from the 80s, uh, Point Break, Strange Days, K-19, The Widowmaker, The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Detroit, all the same director, and that's Catherine Bigelow. Yeah, no, I'm going to go with you on this one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, actually, that's a really solid choice. Let's go on this journey together. So I'm looking more at that kind of Zero Dark Thirty Hurt Locker kind of approach to it, where it's more about like what war does to people and kind of the the dynamics about war itself, like more of a commentary as opposed to actually this epic fantasy story about a little man that, you know, the underdog that gets oh, a win. So you're, in. you're talking about making this more of a, like a, a serious like drama almost. Yeah, more of a kind of drama approach to this. Okay, okay. So that, that's... I, I can dig it. So I'm, from that tone for Willow, I wanted somebody kind of a grizzled character for Willow. And I went with Martin Kleba, which if you're unfamiliar, he's like a fucking cut little person who his main role, he's played a bunch of little roles at I don't mean that in the pun sense. I mean like smaller roles in uh, in films, and also was one of the main uh, sh- pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean. He was oh, a little yeah. person. In... He was uh, Jacoby. Was it Jacoby? Was that the no, character? Was it Jacoby? I forget I the name of the character. Martin. 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 I Marty. Think or Marty. Marty. That's, that's Marty. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think it is Marty. But yeah, he's one of the main pirates, and uh, that's part of the crew. Oh, he was awesome. And too. he's he's a fucking cut li- little oh, man. Oh yeah, dude. Like, he's he's no one to fuck with. So I figured if you're doing this, you like is like more that kind of the later diehard movies like, ah, oh, this shit again, you know, kind of approach to the, to the Willow character. He would be a good Funkar in uh, the, the actual remake. Uh, Funkar? Oh, Funkar. Yeah, for sure. He would oh, do Oh, absolutely. He, oh yeah. Now for Val Kilmer, I wanted somebody that, yeah, is maybe not taking things as seriously as I need to and stuff, but also can break bad when necessary. And this is an actor that's been both in the Hurt Locker and Detroit under Catherine Bigelow. And we've seen him, kick ass and take names and be a lot of fun as well as the Falcon in the Marvel movies. Anthony Mackie is Mad Mardigan. All right. All right. I could see that. And I mean, you know, he knows how to work with choreography. So we get him some sword training to go with his uh, natural athletic abilities and, uh, and, uh, and you... his, his training that he's done countless for 
um, Hurt Locker and, and Marvel. I mean, you know, he's got probably a year straight under his belt of just training. I have the MCU. Don't joke around. <laughs> no, not like, at all. No, no. He he would definitely steal the show. He's got the perfect charisma of Mad Martigan. And I'm thinking about like Anthony Mackie in that cage being like, come on, man. <laughs> Let me out of this cage. And then Martin Cleva being like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> I'll take care of that baby. No. <laughs> just I could beat you. You yeah. have nothing right you got now. Nothing. Yeah. I think it would be really fun to see him in that role. Then we've got Sorsha. Ooh. Uh, originally played by Joanne Wally. I went with another actress that was known for uh, being in a Catherine Bigelow film. She was in Zero Dark Thirty. She was also in The Martian, Interstellar, Crimson Peak, Lawless, and It Chapter Two. Oh, I know you're talking about. Jessica Chastain. That oh, <laughs> it's a gorgeous woman. Gorgeous. Well, both both these women playing Sorsha are stunners. And you know, again, like your original choice, she is she can be hard. Oh edge, yeah, for sure. Like straight up. Like I'm not I'm not taking any names. I'm not messing around. Yep. If I want you dead, you're dead. Yeah. She can play that role perfectly. I I, I was a fan of that one. Then we've got this. These are the tough ones here. Queen Bev Morta, originally played by Jean Marsh. Uh, you wanted somebody, you know, for this version, I wanted someone with real acting chops, but uh, also I wanted somebody a little bit, I guess, Maggie Smith is a little old, and I was going for the, like, you know, much older women fighting each other scene um, to really lean on that. I wanted somebody that had a little bit more spunk to her for this version, so I went with Shirley Jones. And if you're unfamiliar with Shirley Jones, she was uh, Mrs. Partridge in the Partridge family. She was also in Grandma's Boy as the uh, roommate that liked to fuck <laughs> in Grandma's Boy. Uh, she was also uh, had a role in Raising Hope as well. Yes. So she's comes off as very intelligent, very well spoken, and definitely like, you know, not for being an older woman comes off as very uh, doing well, <laughs> taking care of herself can still kind of hold her own. Oh, yeah. So. And then we've got uh, Roselle, who I wanted it to be like this knows everything kind of approach in this one where, you know, there's a reason why she was cast out to this island of nowhere because she couldn't be killed. She could only be put away kind of thing. And none better than as far as older actresses, the dame, the the queen of everything. I even put as far as known for on my worksheet, I just put everything because I didn't want to just list all the things is uh, Judy Dench. Oh, as Rizal. Oh, yes, yeah. So she comes out being like, especially that scene where it's like we're giving you an opportunity to surrender, and it's just her and Willow, and just Judy, Ms. Dench, the Dame, standing there with a wand, being like, "You, you have, you know, two minutes to figure out what you're doing, but you should probably surrender." And just he, she has the gravitas to be able to pull that scene off. I'd say for uh, for Kale and and your version, I can name two actors right now that would fit perfectly. Okay. One of which has actually gotten to work with Judy. Actually, I think they both work with Judy Dench at some point. Uh Daniel Craig. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, my my actual my original choice for uh serious Kale in my version, Liam Neeson. That's a good role too. Yeah, that that would be solid. I could definitely see Liam Neeson doing that as well. Yeah, you know, take a, you know, Liam Neeson, you know, versus Anthony Mackie and a straight up you know, the, the climatic showdown between Kale and uh, Mad Mardigan. Yeah. Like, the, those two having, a, you know, talking like that would, oh, that'd be badass as shit. Oh, that'd Ooh, be I amazing. Now, the last two that I have are the Brownies, uh, originally played by Kevin Pollock and Rick Overton. And uh, again, I wanted buddies, uh, you know, people that you could see like goofing around with each other. 
And at first I was going to go with James Franco and Seth Rogen do the pineapple express approach, but that was too goofy. Like I, wanted, I, I had picked those two initially myself, but. but I wanted to have still a little bit of that goofiness, but you know, like James Franco could still fucking bring it. Like he's in 127 hours. He's amazing. He's been in serious roles and has really brought the shit. And I can see him do kind of a combination of where it's like a little goofy, but not full on stoner, which if he's with Seth Rogen, that's going to happen. But if he's nitpicking and bickering with his cohort a little bit while trying to be serious in the role, that's going to be a fun dynamic. And he would definitely do that with his brother, Dave Franco. So it's the Franco brothers is who I have going in this version. You see, if, if, if you brought in a, you know, Dave Franco, I'd have to say, put him with Zac Efron. Because they were in neighbors, they were neighbors, and they they worked together perfectly. They did work well together, yeah. And they again, you know, they can do serious very I just well. Think Zach Efron's too pretty to be a brownie. Like you need somebody that's uh, not that you know James Franco's a not a looker, but a hey, hey, leave Franco alone. <laughs> yeah, that nothing, is one handsome nothing man. Nothing against Franco. Franco can do well. He's fine, but Zach Efron's just that. Like he's still the pretty boy to me. Where like he's he's a. a Good comedic actor, more, more so than I really want to give him credit for. Well, you know, you remember at the end of the movie, uh, you know, when everyone's celebrating and uh, what was a rule took his hat off and threw it up in the air. Yeah. And you saw that his head was bald. Yeah. Uh, that's what you do. With, uh, Zach Capra. Uh, oh, that would be funny. I would appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, that, that's the casting that I've got for mine. And now we're up to the mashups and uh, we're going to rock these through real quick because we're running a little long as per usual. Uh, but first up is Three Men and a Baby, uh, Katie from Nerdcropolis suggested. And uh, that's actually a pretty easy adaptation is that you've got, you know, basically Willow and then Mad Mardigan. And then you throw in the other uh, Nelwyn character that oh, is uh, friends with Willow. Migosh. Migosh. You've got Migosh and Willow and Val- Valka or Mad Mardigan uh, that decide to just raise this baby on their own. <laughs> That, yeah, Willow's wife recently left him and took the kids, and he's uh, got kind of an empty nest situation going on. She moved to a neighboring village, and Falc- then- Or uh, Mad Mardigan moves in with him. Moves in with him. Yeah, and you, Migosh just drops in every now and then. Honestly, you could have this as like a fucking sequel, where like Val Kilmer gets kicked out of the castle <laughs> and comes to save his buddy Willow just as they find another baby going down the river. And then, and then Migosh for- like, comes in and, and is just helping out, being like the voice of reason that is uh, honestly the breadwinner at this point. And uh, one of the biggest arguments to continuously have is over giving a baby black root. Black root is the big argument. Yeah, for uh, that sure. Is, uh, it puts hair on their chest. They don't need hair. They don't need hair. She like, does not want hair on her chest. Uh, the next one is from our buddy Jack, who suggested uh, two that we suggested several. There were two that I picked out, one of which being Fraggle Rock, which oh. this had decidedly little puppetry in it. And I've always felt like that's always boosts a movie <laughs> like, especially from the time period that it's from and there were multiple instances where you could have done puppets sure absolutely and i feel like adding fraggles into it would be absolutely the right move and the one thing i was thinking with this and uh and please if you have any other ideas is that for Nakmar, the evil castle instead of it being a full-on castle you have it like a catacomb situation um that were like taken over um, and the original settlers are the Fraggles, so they get the Fraggles to help in the open revolt against uh, Bavmorda. So, like, uh, you know, 
Queen Bad Morning, you know, she has to have that massive tower. So pretty much just go with like the standalone tower, you know, a la Lord of the Rings, Sauron's Tower. Yeah. But then there's still the catacombs where all of her soldiers are and all that. Underneath, yeah. And the Fraggles got, okay, you know, I, I, I could totally see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and uh, then you have Fraggles like fucking spears and shit. Ooh. And, and that's how, uh, you know, in the camps, you know, they dropped all the tents where, you know, the holes were. The Fraggles are the ones who help them dig the holes like immediately overnight. Exactly. And then you also have instead of the devil dogs, it's just like that one dog from outer space in Fraggle Rock, like the the workshop owner's dog. Yeah. And that's it. And he's just like goes and like kills the midwife <laughs> and is trying to kill a baby. It doesn't look like, like that should happen, but it's man. Like weirdly dark. Um weirdly? Yes. <laughs> and then uh we've got Raising Arizona by Michelle. <laughs> which i mean th- that could be the continuation where it's uh sorsha and mad martigan that just fucking straight up steal Alora. kale kale never died kale's the uh psychotic biker <laughs> yes. rides around the horse and he carries a he carries like five swords his main sword and four on his back that he just throws at people i love we're just fucking stacking sequels right now just like oh, we've so, got two we've got three let's four whatever you got it or no no they, they didn't even kidnap a lord dan and like she's like like this point of like two years old so yeah she's all she's just learning how to walk and kale shows up butchers everyone like it, it's dark butchers everyone in the castle and chases them out and all of a sudden raising arizona it's like we got to contact Willow. We need to go to Willow's. <laughs> he, sh- he shows up and is like, why are you here? Kale's chasing us. Cool. Leave. <laughs> yeah, just call it raising Alora, and you're good. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Then I suggest, and this is tough for me because I've only seen this movie, kind of seen it, like off and on. Once, uh, Eddie was, or Ed Weird was nice enough to suggest Drive Angry as a mashup for this one. I and have seen that one. It's basically like Ghost Rider with a car, right? That's kind of the basic premise. Uh, essentially, uh, I mean, I could give you the full plot right now instead of 30 no. seconds. Um, <laughs> it's, it's actually a really fucked up plot. Um, yeah. but, uh, for, for Willow, um, again, that, that would definitely be like, uh, you know, if Mad Mardigan died and escaped, you know, that's, you know, like he died in the crow cage Yeah. and all of a sudden, you know, they're at the crossroads, which in, you know, ain't, you know, lore of all ghosts, you know, the ghosts are always stuck at the crossroads. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's when they see the ghost of Mad Mardigan who aids them and, you know, saving Alora Dannon in order to keep himself from getting, you know, sucked into hell. Okay. So, All I mean, right. that, that could totally you, work. No, you came up with a concept better than I could have. So, um, and I'm pretty sure when Edward wrote Drive Angry, he was like, <laughs> fuck these guys. And then wrote Drive Angry as the response. So, got uh, you, sucker. <laughs> fuck you, too, Eddie. I miss you. Love you. Um, <laughs> Drive Angry. Uh, wow. And then from Dan, this is also a fuck these guys. Just Webster. The just, fuck is Webster? Webster, the old show. Um, or what was the show? No, the, the show was called something um, that had Webster in it. Who the fuck is Webster? Webster is like the little dude. I don't yeah. know. A, a sitcom version, I guess. Just I mean, straight up easy, like old school sitcom. You could easily do a sitcom, except it'd probably be more along the lines. You know, it it it's already like that. Think it about it. Kind of the movie's already like that. Kind of a sitcom already. Nice. So, okay. I mean, it's technically already there, so that wasn't a good enough suggestion. Right, fair enough. That's fine. Well, we that we covered it, so we're good. So, that's yeah. all the mashups. Uh, now, we're going to finish out this episode by doing our trailers, uh, which is always fun. So, I'm going to go ahead and do my Catherine Bigelow, like, Hurt Locker, uh, Zero Dark Thirty approach to it. Um, which one are you going to try to do? Are you doing your full parody, or are you doing your serious take one? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll take one of the mashups. I'm going to take uh, the Drive Angry one. All right, the Drive Since Angry apparently one. Apparently that, that that one came across as a uh, screw these guys. I'm going to fuck with them. Yeah, right, let's let's see fuck, if I can yeah, fuck with fuck you. you. Well, we're going to screw back. All right, <laughs> let me cue up the music. In a world ruined by war, it takes a little man with a big heart to take control and drive out the evil forces that plague the land. This summer, from the mind of Catherine Bigelow, the director of Near Dark, Point Break, The Hurt Locker, and Zero Dark Thirty, comes a reimagined Willow. Starring Martin Kleba as Willow Offgood, Anthony Mackie as Mad Mardigan, Jessica Chastain as Sorcha, and Shirley Jones as Queen Bavmorda, with special appearances of James Franco and Dave Franco as Rule and Frangine, the Brownies. Raziel, Raziel, played by Judy Dench, and a bunch of animals to play. There's a lot of animals that she plays. You might make her a giraffe, I don't know. Uh, that'd be interesting. This is over. Goodness has a name. And that name is Willow. Rated PG-13, coming to a theater near you. So yeah, that's uh, that's my take. <laughs> you, you had me going there, and I was like, like, this is pretty good. God damn it. <laughs> I'm interested to see the giraffe version of Rizelle. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be a treat. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that's my uh, my Zero Dark Thirty version. Uh, we're going with your Drive Angry version, right? Yeah, we're gonna do the Drive Angry version. All right, so here we go. Your uh, your take on Willow. In a far and distant land. There was a young sorcerer, an apprentice, who is carrying a child of great prophecy. When he comes across it, a long-lost spirit, together they must fight against the forces of a dark queen, aided by the power of good. <laughs> this is the tale of a being known as Willow, played by none other than Warwick Davis, reprising his role from the original version. Playing the role of Mad Mardigan is none other than Chris Hemsworth. Bad Warner would be played by Angelica Houston and Rizelle, the legendary Betty White. This movie is rated PG-13. Very nice, very nice indeed. <laughs> <laughs> So well done. I, uh, I, you know what? I, we, this may not be. I don't know if either one of us fully put nail to uh, uh, hammer on nail on this one necessarily, but definitely some interesting things to think about when talking about a Willow remake. So, uh, it's um, we, we, we made some solid points. Um. <laughs> now that being said, there is already conversation uh, recently about doing a series uh, sequel to Willow. Uh, that would be coming out on the Disney Plus network. Now, that's surprising to me considering that Willow, the DVD has been out of print for a long time. And it's, as far as I know, not been re-released on Blu-ray. So 
this is a film that has been kind of in the Disney vaults for a bit. Uh, actually, if I'm not, I believe it has been put on Blu-ray. If I'm has not it been put on Blu-ray now? I know um, it wasn't for a while. Uh, but uh, I I do know that you know I've actually read the uh, there's actually a story following the events of uh, what happened in the movie Willow, and uh, it's actually really dark. So I'm a little curious to see how Disney handles that. But sure, you know, then again, they you know they might make it more uplifting, but at the same time, there might be conflict. Because all uh, all that happened to Bav Warner, she didn't die. She was banished to another realm. Sure. And she is you know, a sorceress. So she can always come back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a chance for her to reprise her role in a sequel. Oh, yeah. For sure. Excellent. Well, I want to hear what you guys think about this uh, episode. If you have other ideas on who should be casted. If you have opinions about how the plot should go for a sequel or a reimagining. Uh, hit us up at our hotline at 804-505-4484. That's 804-505-4GY. Or email us, geeksundertheinfluence at gmail.com. Or on Twitter, uh, the best way to follow us is to hit up the Geeks Under the Influence Twitter page, which is uh, GY Podcast RVA on Twitter. Uh, we've got a Smack My Pitch Up page on Facebook. Uh, or hit up our Instagram for Geeks Under the Influence. It's Geeks Under the Influence on uh, on Instagram. Or uh, just go to GYPodcast.com where you can get the links to previous episodes, uh, all the information on our social media, and uh, join the conversation. We always send stuff out on our social media asking what you think should be a mashup for some of these episodes. So, you know, follow us, uh, talk with us, join the conversation, and we might take one of your decisions on the mashup and use it for a future episode. So we'll see you next time, and uh, we appreciate our guest Mr. Sideshow for coming on and helping. I am thrilled to have been able to do this with you, brother. Yes, I, I appreciate it. And finally, we got you on the show. So Fucking right. It took long enough. It only so. took over a year. Right. Jesus. So, uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. And uh, you just got pitched, Matt. GUIPodcast.com. <laughs>